And I'm a, I'm a teacher, so for me, in order to, to get to it, there's something in me that always likes to kind of rewind just a bit and, and be reminded of what God's doing in the camp. You know, it's, it's been since March that he's been telling us, you are called to be dependent on him. That's our only source. That's our only hope. Without him, we're lost, we're blind, but with him, whew, all things are possible. And so we're in a place of, of, for months, him being reminding us, be dependent on me. But he showed us that when we're dependent on him, just like Jesus, Jesus said, it's not even my own will. I don't come to do my will. I come to do the Father's will. I don't even say or do anything on my own. I only say and do what I see the Father saying and doing. That's the kind of dependency he is bringing us to. Not just me. He's bringing my home, my wife and my children. He's bringing us as a congregation. I believe He's bringing his body to that place. But then he gave us some, some ways to do it. He said, listen, it's all about your heart. It ain't about this outward man. It's about the inward man. It ain't about what the outside of the cup looks like. It's about what the inside of the cup looks like. And so he said, listen, I'm going to show you that above all else, I tell you to guard your heart because out of it comes the issues of your life. Out of it comes the course of your life. And he taught us how to do it. He, he told us that there's access points to our heart and that we have to guard those access points to our heart. He didn't leave us there, though. He said, because guess what? When all of us are in that place, there's going to be a sweetness in his house. There'll be an aroma in his house, and it's going to be his word coming forth. It's going to be his spirit being poured out. It's going to be love in the house that abounds. It's going to be the place of humility in and out of these pews and out of these doors. And then he said it's going to be the sweet oil that he pours out of unity amongst us. And they will know that we are his disciples. And now he's got us in Joseph. And the lesson that he's asking us is, does their character match their calling? Does your resume, does your life does it match who God has designed you and wired you to be? And that's where we are today. We're in this special place again where he says, I have made you and I have paths of righteousness to lead you in for his name's sake. And Pastor Terry, three weeks ago, he showed us Joseph, and he showed us coming out with his coat of many colors, and he showed us his, the place where Joseph had his dream, and there was a pride test. And we know what God says about pride. He said he hates it. He doesn't just hate pride. He said, I resist it. He actually takes an action against it. And so the Holy Spirit said, in this house, in Dino, in this place, I want you to look into your heart. I want you to call out to God and say, search me, God. Know if there be any place in me that you hate. Know if there be any place in me, God, where you are saying is not of you. Because then Pastor Ernest took us to Joseph, and he was in the pit. All of a sudden, Joseph wasn't with his brothers. He wasn't in the fields. He wasn't with his father. He was in a pit. And we were reminded that the pits in our lives, they have purposes. Every pit in our life is a purpose. It's a place where God has got you all alone with him because he wants you to look inward. He's looking inward, and he's saying, now I want you to look inward because I want to take some time where you can see what I want to do in you. And you know what he does in those pits? He tells us it's a time for us to repent. 
It's a time for us to call out to God as our helper. Call out to God as the one who, is, the one who reveals and develops our character. And God doesn't allow us to move to the next place in our destinies until he develops the character that he knows is needed before we get to that step. That's grace. That's grace. He don't just say, okay, go ahead now, knowing that I'm going to go there and, and I don't have what it takes. That I don't have in me what he has created me on the inward part to bring to that place. And I know that personally. You know, for five years I was in a pit. For five years I was in a pit and I resisted the work the Lord was trying to do in my life. He had shown me what it was. He said, Dino, you've become a compromise. I didn't create you to be a compromise, but you become a compromise. You become stubborn, Dino. He said, but I didn't create you to be stubborn. He showed me what he created me to be in that pit. And he said, I told you I made you to be a discerner. I've given you ability to, to discern so that you would be uh, zealous to walk with me and to talk with me. But instead, you've compromised it. And he, he said it with compassion, but he didn't let me come out of that pit as long as I resisted it. It was five years of my 52 years life. Five years of my 26 years being married. Five years of my children's life that I was in a pit, in a compromised, stubborn way when God was saying, no, you're a discerner. You're one that's going to walk and talk with me. You're one that's going to be an encourager to your brothers and sisters. But I thank God because he used that season when I yielded to him to bring this about now, to bring this identity that always was. It always was what he created. And I, I love this scripture if we can put up Psalm 139 because if you question, God, what are your plans for me? God, what, what are, did you, am I created by you? What is, what is this, God? Psalm 139, I love it. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You know that there are places that are in you that you don't even know. They're inward. They're places that you haven't even seen yet. But God did. He made them and he covered me in my mother's womb. The next verse says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you say, I am wonderfully made? I am wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought. I look at that, wow. Imagine the God who's created everything, created us. He said, I skillfully wrought you. In the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me. When as yet there was not even one of them he had known every single day while we were still being formed. How precious also are your thoughts to me. They're not just thoughts. They're not just places that he created. They are precious. The thoughts that God has for you, they're precious. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. <laughs> he even says it in Jeremiah 1.5. He says it again. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I thank God because... That's us. And so when we talk about Joseph, 
We're going to see Joseph today, and we're going to see this workmanship of God in Joseph's life. But as we're seeing it, remember, these are lessons for us in God's word through the life of Joseph. God has plans for us. God has wonderful plans for us. We can't just say, God has a plan. If you tell somebody God has a plan, you better stop for a second and you go, no, 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 no. God has a wonderful plan. But wait, 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 wait. God has a wonderful plan, and it's just not a plan. It's plans. It's plural. It's more than even the sands can be counted. It's just awesome. That's our God. And he wants to bring us to that destiny. And he had a plan for it even before we were born. So that takes us to today's scripture. That takes us to Joseph where he was in the pit. And now today we're going to talk about there was the pride test. There was the pit test. And today we're going to talk about the palace test. Joseph goes from potentially being murdered by his brothers. His brothers had a whole plan. They said, oh, we're going to say a wild beast got him. We'll take his coat and we'll say a wild beast got him. And, and, we'll, and we'll bring the coat back and we'll put blood on it. We'll do all this stuff. And they had this plan. But guess what? God had a different plan. Right? And then his older brother, Reuben, Reuben came up and Reuben said, wait a minute. Ain't, ain't good, a good, this ain't a good idea. I don't think we should kill him. I think we should just throw him in the pit. And then Reuben said, you know what? Because... Then we'll come back and deliver him and we'll bring him back to the father. He started having some, some thoughts that were aligning a little bit more with, with the father's heart. But then Judah came along. And Judah, the other brother, he came along and goes, ah, you know, what good is it if we kill him? If we just kill him, it's no good. Why don't we sell him? Then we can get some money for it. Oh, yeah, all the other brothers. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right, let's do that one. Let's do that. We'll, we'll, we'll sell him. We'll get 20 shekels for him. And that's what they did. And so that's where we pick up today. That's where we are today. And so we can go to Genesis 39, verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, who was an Egyptian officer and Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. He literally went from a pit to a palace. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Can we say the Lord was with That's an important piece as we continue to look at this lesson. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph. There it was again. It wasn't just that the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph knew it. The Lord was with Joseph and Potiphar noticed it. Giving him success in everything he did, and this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Potiphar his personal attendant. He soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord even began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. God had some plans, right? Look how God's plans begin to un, un, unfold. And then it says, all his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock, they flourished so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. And with Joseph there, Potiphar didn't worry about a thing except what food he would eat. Here we are with Joseph and the king 
of Egypt's palace. And when we read these scriptures, it makes it very clear. Wow, God had some serious plans here. God had some plans here to prosper Joseph. God had some plans to give him a hope. God's had some plans to give him this future. But what are the keys to it? This just didn't happen. There's a place in God that this happened. And I just want to share with you the places that God was showing to me. When he takes you from a pit when it's all by yourself, and he does that work in your heart, you submit, we submit to that work. And then he takes you from the pit and he puts you in a palace. The palace is only a place where there's others. The palace is the place where you are now in your sphere of influence. The palace is the place now where your character gets have, have an opportunity to be tested. Your character has an opportunity to show forth God. That's all the palace is. That palace is my home. That palace is my job. That palace is here in this place, and that palace is ShopRite. That's a place where God says, now, you know what? You go out there and you show forth my character because the calling that I had for you, those plans I had for you right now, my character is going to come through you in that place. I believe that's the place where we are right now. I believe God has already told us that we have to be dependent on him day in and day out. God is already dealing with our hearts, and now God is dealing with this character, and he is now leading us into places where we could say palaces, places where our character can now shine forth the glory of the Lord. I believe that there are four keys to this type of prosperity. This type of prosperity, I believe is the key to prospering is the presence of the Lord. That's the key. It's not us. It's God. The key to prospering is the Lord. The second key to prospering is obedience. Because the key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. The key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. You don't just have the presence of the Lord and be disobedient or be in sin. And the key to obedience is faith. And the key to faith is the word. And so today we just want to look at these keys. and They're, they're right there. If you want to take out your phone and take a picture of them, we're going to unpack that tonight. Today, this afternoon, we're going to unpack these keys. The key to prospering is the presence of the Lord. I want to make this clear. Prosperity is not a bad word. I believe it's been polluted. I believe prosperity has been polluted because there is a hyper-prosperity teaching, and I don't believe it's biblical. I believe it's worldly. I believe it's sensual. I believe it's demonic. You know why? Because it's looking to silver. It's looking to gold. It's looking to possessions. It's looking to the blessings and not the blesser. That is not God. That is not his word. And that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about prosperity. We're talking about in Christ. We're talking about prosperity in his presence. The Bible said with Joseph, Joseph, the Lord was with him. In Hebrew, this word prosperity, this is what it means. The word prosperity actually means this. It means to be pushed forward. That's what it means. This word prosperity means that it's not by our own might. It's not me pushing myself forward. It's not me on my own might going forward or you. Prosperity means being pushed forward by God. Prosperity means that there's a place in God's heart. There's a place in God's will. There's a place of God, from God, that God advances. That's prosperity. Prosperity is that it comes from him, and it is him. Heaven on earth. That is not us in our own workmanship. That is him in us. That is him with us. 
And that's the kind of prosperity that I don't think we should shy away from. I don't think that's a prosperity. I think that's a prosperity we should pray over one another for. That's a prosperity that we can say, God, I want to be prosperous in your presence. I want to be prosperous with you. Less of me and more of him. And so if we look at that verse 2, if we could pull verse 2 up again, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. That struck me, was with Joseph. And I looked that up and I, I was like, okay, God, what does was with Joseph mean? He said it wasn't just that they were in the same place. It was that they were in relationship. Was with is meaning that, yes, we're together, but we're not just together in strangers. We're together in heart. We're together in purpose. We're together in the place of, that is of God and from God. And so God is going to advance it. That's an appointed place. That's in a place of appointment. And over and over and over in the scriptures, you see that God prospers his people in his presence. We see it with Moses. You see it with Hezekiah. You see it with David. God prospered them in his presence. Because let me be clear. If it is not with him, it's in vain. That's going to sink. That's sand. That's a sandcastle. Sandcastles are pretty. But they don't last. So it's either with him or it's in vain. Look at 1 Samuel, verse 18 and 14. It said, David continued to succeed in everything he did. Why? For the Lord was with him. He was a man after God's own heart. That mean, was with him. That means that it was not just David and God in the same place. It means that it was David and God in relationship. David and God, and, and he hallowed it. It's imperative. You know what this means, was with him? It means that God has first place, not second, not third place. If it is second or third place, it's not was with him. He says there can't be no other God. There can be nothing before me. So this is important. If we're going to move in this lesson with Joseph, we must start with understanding. God wants to prosper us in his presence, in the was with him. That we would be those that hallow the name of God. We don't use that word often enough. The Bible says, hallow it be thy name. That hallow, it means I honor. It means when we sang, I bow my feet. All worldly other things I let go of. That in the presence of you, everything else grows dim. Hallow it be thy name. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not just to do that on Sunday mornings. That responsibility is not just to come in this place and, oh, let's, you know, bend our knee and, and let me play the bongo or, or let's just lift up our voice. That's daily. That's moment by moment. Our responsibility is to daily look to God just like Jesus did. He goes, what are you up to, God? What are you doing? He looked to his father. What are you doing? I want to do that and do only that. And let me tell you this. If God had more plans for you than even you can measure in sand, let me tell you something. He has an opportunity with him, with you, with me, right now. Does that make sense? His plans are more than the sand. So that, uh, that's, that probably means more than the minutes of the day of my life. It's a little much to, to take in. But I believe it's true. He has more plans for you than the sands, which means that there's probably more things going on that he had plans for you and plans for me than even the days and the minutes. And so, God, I want to prosper in with you. 
I want to prosper in your presence and with your presence. Let's look at the opposite. Look at Cain's life. God gave Cain an opportunity to repent. The Bible said that Cain did this. He moved out from the presence of the Lord. God didn't leave, but Cain did just that. His heart turned. It was not Cain now with God. It said Cain moved out from the presence of the Lord. Solomon, look at Solomon. His heart was turned from the Lord. He did not have a, and we know the story because of all the, the, the wives and all those that he chased after, the strange ones that God said no to. Again, that was a place of not hallowing the presence of God. We must stay connected to his presence. The Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph was a prosperous man. I thought about this. We saw what Potiphar said when Joseph was in the house. I just thought about this. I, I said to my wife, I said, do you think I could share this? And She's like, ah. It's, yeah. My question was this, and I'm not asking it because I'm trying to, to think about what man thinks. I'm just trying to paint this picture for us. What if Potiphar came here like he was with Joseph? Would Potiphar be in High Street Worship Center and go, wow, the Lord was with them? Would Potiphar say, wow, the Lord was with them? They are blessed. I think I can give a small answer to that. Just a few weeks ago, our dear brothers and sisters, Jisan and Yosef, they came and they visited. And when they came, they ministered God's heart. And two things they ministered God's heart to. One, she played on the piano and she played that God looked at us and he said, you're beautiful. The God looked at us and he said, oh, my heart is joyous over you. And then they got up and he shared in a prophetic way. He goes, what I sense in the spirit is the Holy Spirit is hovering here. I believe that. And there's witnesses. There's ones that have come new. There's ones that have been here. The Holy Spirit is hovering here. God is with us. We have to not compromise. Don't be stubborn. God, let us honor. Let us hallow your presence. And so that takes us to the next place that I believe is a place that God wants to prosper us in. And that place is, what is the key to the presence? If we know the key to being prosperous is with him, the key to his presence is obedience. Obedience. It says, let's go to verse 2, and let's see what it says. It said, God was with him. So what did that look like for Joseph? This is what it looked like in Genesis 39, verse 2. It looked like this. It says that Joseph did what? The Lord was with him, so he succeeded in everything he did. He did as he served. That's all it said Joseph ever did. In this entire passage, it, all it says is that Joseph served. That's Christ. That's, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I come to serve. All Joseph did is he served. He walked obediently. You know, you know what I, I, I said to myself? Joseph wasn't going around the palace and going, hey, do you know who I am? You know, my father's Jacob. There's no record of that. The only record it gave of Joseph is that he was in the palace and he served. He walked obediently. He wasn't going to the palace and going, listen, I had this dream. Can I, Potiphar, can I tell you this dream I had? Oh, Potiphar, you should have saw the coat my father gave me. There's no record of him giving this type of place where he is, you know, he just served. 
Obedience is the key to his presence. And don't get me wrong, I am not talking about a works doctrine. This is not by works we are saved. I am talking about we know we are saved by grace through faith alone. It is Jesus Christ who was robed in flesh, God himself robed in flesh, who died for our sins. That's where we are right, made right with God. It's not in our own works. But if you want to succeed here, if you want to be pushed forward into the things of God, you have to be obedient. We have to be obedient. I have to be obedient. It's fundamental. There's not a chapter in the Bible where you can open up and you don't find the consequences for obedience and the consequences for disobedience. Let's look in Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 and 28. And I say this because it's important. Because if any one of us think that sin doesn't have consequences, if any one of us think that, that obedience isn't the place where God's affections are, obedience is just God saying that I know the plans I have for you. I know what is best. I know what is going to succeed you. I want you to do it with me because it's what I'm doing. It's relationship. It's obedience with being with him. That's all it is. It's us saying, wait a minute, God, I was over here, but now you're telling me, God, you're doing that. I repent. I turn to you. That's obedience. Deuteronomy says this, look, today I am giving you the choice. You have a choice between blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I have given you. But you will be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and you turn away from him, and you worship gods you have not known before. That's the straight places. That's the places that he's leading in, the narrow places. If we look at Job 36, 11, and 12, he says this, if if you notice, both of these scriptures start with the ifs. God is saying there's an if here. And that's where we are. That's why we're in lessons. This is, this is heaven's school. I never said it that way, but it's yes. This is heaven's school. It's God with us, and he's going, now listen, if they will listen and obey God, they will be blessed. That's obedience. Obedience. They will be blessed with prosperity throughout their lives. All their years will be pleasant, but if they refuse, again, if, to listen to me. They will cross over the river of death and they will die with the lack of understanding. And Proverbs 28 and 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, again, obedience, they will receive mercy. Repentance is obedience. And I read that scripture, and I, I just want to throw this out to any one of us. And I throw it out out of love to you. If you have secret sin today in your life, it will become your scandal tomorrow. Only because God doesn't want that in your life. And so I just, I, I, I plead with you and say to you today, we again have opportunity to prosper with him in his presence, more of him. We have opportunity to be pushed forward in the things that God is saying is set before us in obedience. Or we can live in secret sins and, and iniquities in our hearts. And that secret sin today will become your scandal tomorrow. Obedience is love. Don't be scared of it. Obedience is love. You don't have to be scared of it. Look at what it says in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's love. Look at 
And then guess what? God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, oh, let's have this love fest together. He doesn't just say, oh, look, keep my commandments. If you love me, let's do these things together. I want you to join me and do these together. He goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, but as it is written, the eye has not seen nor the ear heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man. What? The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now that's prosperity. I'm talking about a prosperity that God is calling us to that only he is knows of right now. That we don't even have a mind wrapped around it yet. The places where it says that his glory filled the house, the priest couldn't even go in yet. That the knowledge of him was filled the earth. That that greater rain would even be uh, greater than the former. There are so many things. I always say the greatest adventure in life, the greatest journey in life is doing it with God. He already, he, his word shows it. There's going to be what your eye has never seen, what your ear has never heard, what you haven't even imagined is going to be possible with God. So let's look at this fulfillment with Joseph. What did it look like, Joseph, in that, in that palace? He was walking in obedience. We know that. He was serving and he was with God, and God was with him. And look what it said happened. It said Potiphar noticed. It said Potiphar realized. He didn't just notice. He, you know, I've noticed things in my life. Oh, oh that's different. And I keep, that was different. I'm talking about Potiphar said that's different. He's realized something. But then it goes on to say that Potiphar <coughs> did not just notice it, but Potiphar realized it. And then Potiphar was actually pleased by it. So much so, it said that Potiphar gave him more to tend to. And Joseph flourished. But Joseph didn't just flourish. It said Potiphar's household flourished. And it said that even all of Potiphar's house flourished until what? Until it came to a point where Potiphar said, listen, I'm going to get everything unto you. Everything. Potiphar said, I'm giving you it all. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have storms in our lives. We're going through them now. Doesn't mean we're not going to have difficulties in our life. Doesn't mean we're not going to have problems in our life. We will. But what it does mean is that we're going to do it with God. What it does mean is that God is going to take us through those storms. He's going to take us through those problems, and he's going to take us through, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to bring us through successfully. He's going to bring us through, and he's going to push us forward in him. It's going to be the purposes of God in us and through us for his name's sake, for his kingdom, for, for what his great reward is. That's our God. But guess why? When he does it, he's going to do it in a way that you never even could have thought of, asked of, or even imagined. That's how he's going to do it. So God, forgive us, Lord, that we were, were slow. Forgive us, God, Lord, that we were dull. Forgive us, Lord, God, that we compromise and that today, yes, tomorrow, no. Maybe the next day a little bit here and a little bit there. No. For such a time as this. And let's move on to the third key. There was the key to prosperity is being pushed forward in his presence. The key to his presence is obedience. And the key to obedience is faith. Why faith? Because faith is not of us and of this world. Faith is of God. Faith is taking God at his word and God at who he is. That's faith. Faith isn't me just, you know, seeing something and going, oh yeah, and declaring it, but it's already there. Decreeing it and it has, it's already done. That's not faith. In Joseph, in the palace, I believe he was walking in faith. 
I believe he was walking in faith. And I want to share some scriptures that I believe shows him walking in faith. Let's look at Colossians. First of all, we know he was walking in faith. It's not just what, we, what I'm sharing here. Because guess what? In Hebrews, you know the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews? Abel and Enoch and, and all them. Joseph's in there. Joseph was in the palace, and Joseph was walking in faith. Joseph's life was found in faith. Colossians 3, 23 and 25, this is what it tells us about faith. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. That's faith. I don't care if you give a, a glass of water to someone thirsty. You're doing that unto Christ. That's faith. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. I don't believe Joseph was serving a man when he was serving in the palace. That's why God was with him. God didn't resist him. It didn't say that God was, uh, he was proud and he was serving self or he was serving a man. He said that God was with him and God prospered him until all of a sudden it was all given unto him. He was walking in faith. And you know what that does? That's a pleasure to God. Faith pleases God. What does the scripture tell us? The scripture tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith pleases God. In verse 6, I love this. Uh, if we can put up Genesis in verse 6. I love this part here. It says, with Joseph there, Potiphar didn't worry about a thing. Have you ever been around somebody who worries? It fills the atmosphere. But let me share something. Have you ever been around somebody with faith? It fills the atmosphere. Potiphar, it said, had no worries when Joseph was there. That lets me know that that atmosphere was filled with faith. He didn't worry about a thing. Joseph wasn't going around and he wasn't worrying and complaining and murmuring. I believe that he was serving <laughs> he was serving to God. He was serving who God, he knew the things that God had given him, and he had been to the pit. God had shown him his heart. He had come into a place that he had never thought, asked, or imagined, and he was in a place. And he was walking in obedience. God was with him, and he was walking in faith. So I just want to speak to you about faith. We know that faith pleases God. But I want to remind you, in Romans 12, verses 3, God tells us that he has dealt to every man the measure of faith. I've been given a measure of faith. You have been given a measure of faith. There is not one that has not been given a measure of faith. And I love that because I tie it all together. I look at that and I'm like, well, God, God, you already gave me a measure. And God, you told me that with faith I please you. Guess what? In faith I please God. And he gave me what I need. He gave us what we need. It's about walking in it. It's about us coming together where two or three of us would touch and agree on these things. That we would call heaven. That God would look to and fro and he would go, oh yes, they're in the gap. That's where I wanted to be. And now I can be there with them. Remember, God is a rewarder of them. 
that walk in faith and diligently seek him. And the final key, the key to faith. What is the key to faith? We've been given it. We have faith. We've all been given a measure. So God, what unlocks it? What, what activates faith in me? It's the word of God. It's the word. Romans 10 and 17 says this. So faith comes from, wow, that's pretty clear. Faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the word of God, the good news about Christ. That's where faith comes from. And God lets us know that, that the word of God, that it's just not what comes and brings what's good. It comes and brings what's alive. It comes and brings what's powerful. It comes and brings that which can do work that no man could ever do. Not even a surgeon, no skilled anyone could do what the word of God can do. Hebrews 4 and 12 said, for the word of God is alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It can cut between soul and spirit. It can cut between joint and marrow. It exposes even the innermost thoughts and desires. Who wants to be pushed forward in the word? Who wants the spirit of God to come within us and push us forward in these places? In him. in obedience, in faith, and in his word. Why? God's word, it is the power to change. Who's been changed by God's word? There's not a hand that can't be raised. God's word is what has changed us. And don't forget, that word became flesh and walked amongst us. That word was what shed that blood. And so I had to ask myself, because all we had was these six scriptures. And I'm like, well, God, what word, we're going to end in this place is here. What word did actually Joseph have in him? The Bible doesn't, you know, tell us in Genesis 39. It doesn't give us a, you know, this is the word that Joseph stood on. But if you go back and you, you look at uh, when Joseph was a little younger, I want to share with you some of the word that got deposited into Joseph. When Joseph's father, Jacob, was in distress, imagine this, and you can picture yourself. Jo Joseph was young. He was 17 years old when, when his brothers did all that and put him in the pit. So before that, Joseph's father, Jacob, he was distressed, and he was calling out for the mercies of God. He was asking God, deliver me, God, from my brother Esau. Because Esau was coming with 400 men. And Jacob believed that he would be attacked and killed and he believed the mothers of his children and his children would all be killed. So Jacob came up with a plan. He said, this is what we're going to do. Okay, he had these 12 sons. He had, you know, these wives. He said, we are going to break up into different companies. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to send the maidservants first with my sons, with her sons. And then we're going to send Leah and with her children. And then we're going to send Rachel and Joseph last. So if he, you know, if Esau kills the first ones, and you know, he, he had a plan. He was distressed, but he was calling out to God. And you know what God did? God delivered him. God delivered his sons, and they were all safe. And this is what it says in Genesis 35, verses 1 through 3. This was the word that was in Joseph. Then God said to Jacob, Remember, they just got delivered. Get ready. You're going to move to Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. Praise be to the Lord. Get ready. You're going to move to Bethel, and you're going to settle there. You're going to build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And look at this. So Jacob 
did what? Told everyone in his household. Guess what that means? Joseph got this word. He came back to the house and he said, I got something to tell you, sons. He told everyone, he said, get rid of all your pagan idols. Purify yourselves. Let's put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. Joseph had that word in him. He knew that God answered prayers. He knew that God was with him, his father in distress. He was there when he said, we're going to go from, oh, wait a minute, I'm with just my mother and there's somebody coming to attack us. He said, wait a minute, all of a sudden, we're going to Bethel to the house of God and we're building an altar to God and we're going to say, God, we want to be sanctified and made right before you. And God, we know you delivered us. And he, I love it, he says, because he has been with me wherever I have gone. I wonder how many times Joseph said that when he was in the pit. I wonder how many times Joseph said that prayer when he was in that caravan going to Egypt with the Midianites and as they were taking him as a slave. I wonder if he was saying to himself, God, you answered my father's prayers when he was in distress. God, I know you are with me. God, you will be with me wherever I go. And that's why I know when he was in the, I believe, when he was in that palace with Potiphar and he was just serving and God was with him, I believe he was saying in his heart, God, you're with me wherever I go. God, you are with me wherever I go. God, today again, Lord, none of what is around me in this pagan worship, God. Lord, I do not compromise myself. God, I remember when my father told us that we must purify ourselves before you, God. Set no other God before me. I love that. He knew that there was a God that hears, a God that answers, and a God who delivers, and a God who never leaves. He said, you're with me through it all. But that's not the only word he had. I, I get, I'm sorry, I get very excited on this last part because these are places that I believe are in Joseph because God said he was with them, he was obedient, he was walking in faith, and now I believe where, this is the richness of God's word that was in him. It was that part. But you know what else happened? Remember Jacob? What did Jacob do? He wrestled with um, an angel. And he said, no, 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 I'm not going to let this go. God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And there's no, I don't move from this place until I know God is with me. And God has said yes. And you know what happened? Because he wouldn't let go, that angel touched him in the hip socket and it got out of whack. And then he came back to his family and his sons and he was, he was limping. And he limped, I believe, the rest of his life. I don't know, but I believe it says that. But he limped. But here's what's amazing. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Genesis, so not only did his sons know that he came back and all of a sudden his dad was limping, but it says this in Genesis uh, 35, 31, and 32. For I have seen God face to face and my life was preserved. And just as Jacob crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the meat, do not eat the muscle that shrank, which was on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So imagine this. Joseph, probably before that, and his family ate that meat. But after this encounter with God, Jacob came back and it says, all the children of Israel to this day, they don't eat that. That was in Joseph. I know, my God, my, my father, my... You know what else Joseph knew? 
I, I love this what Joseph knew. He knew the very word that was promised to his father when he said to him, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. You will be fruitful and multiply and you will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants. He knew that word. And I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. I'm going to give to Jacob and to his descendants. Yes, I will give it to you and to your descendants after you. That's, that's what Joseph knew. That's the word. But you know what's amazing? None of that was his reality in the palace. Meaning that he still was in a foreign land. He still was a servant. And he still was under a, a pagan king in Egypt. But God was with him. His presence was with him. He walked. And Stephen, you can come up. He walked in uh, obedience. He walked in faith. And I believe he held the word of God dear, the word of God dear to his heart. And so, where does this bring us? There are a lot more lessons to learn in Joseph. I think Pastor said there's ten of them. <laughs> We're in lesson three. Pride, pit, and now the palace. I think, just like the word says, it's line upon line and precept upon precept. God wants to build us in, in him. God, I believe, wants to prosper us in his presence with him. God is calling us to places that he wants to push us forward in the things that he is telling us that are of him and from him and for him, the places that he wants to bring heaven to earth. And so Isaiah says it this way. He says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And so I don't know where we all are, but I know that we all are in this place where God is giving us opportunity to seek him. Giving us opportunity to, to not just seek him, but be promised that we would find him and that we could move in him and have our being in him. And so to end today, I want us to just, if we can, however it is that you feel led, that the Spirit is moving in you. To take some time to submit again. All week long I've been looking at this and, you know, uh, this is not the prosperity teaching that is, that is out there. This is a lot different. But I believe it's what God is calling us to because it's going to be his church, his bride. It's going to be those in the day in the last hours. And he's saying, submit again to the ways of God because he does want to push us forward. He wants to push us forward. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. There's no other reason. He doesn't just want to push us forward because, oh yeah, he already, all the plans he had for us were plans of love, plans to prosper us, give us a good hope and future. It's all because his heart was because he loved us. He's a good father. And so Stephen, if you would just play this song, uh, take my heart, God, it's yours. We're going to, just respond to God again. Because the Bible says above all else, the place that's going to dictate the course of this is what is in our hearts. It's what idol is there. What compromise is there. Where do we not hallow who he is? Where are we not honoring him? Where are we in a place that we are not loving on him like he wants to love on us? But we have that chance again today. And so I bless you today.
I bless you with the submission. You are the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift ever is within you. You can talk to God within you right now. You can talk to God within you right now. And if there's secret sin within you, then you just confess it to God. If there's iniquity in your heart, if there are things that have become strongholds in your life, cry out and ask for deliverance. If there are places in you right now that you know that that are dim because you are looking at the, the distractions of this world, if there's places like that, say, God, I turn to you. And just give him your heart again today. This altar is open. If there's a place where you want to come and bow your knee, then bow your knee. Talk to God within you. Ask him. Have your way with me today. Have your way with me today. At any cost, down any road, have your way with me today. Have your way with us today, God.